All right, great job. Hey guys, you guys may be seated. What a great time to be together, huh? All right. Well, hey, my name, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads Church. I'm the pastor of engagement, which basically means when, when people want to connect and grow spiritually, um, our, our uh, team are, are, are those who help. So that's community groups and uh, various uh, discipleship-type activities. Well, I'm honored to be here today to be able to uh, 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 share God's Word with us together. And I'd like to begin by, by just giving you a little info, a little snapshot about me um, kind of a random point, but um, one of my earliest memories as a young kid was my first superhero. Um, and for a lot of boys, it's, it's like it's Batman or it's Superman or in modern days, it's, it's the Marvel Universe or, or uh, Woody from Toy Story, right? For me, as, like, as, as early as I could speak, Evil Knievel, this fella, yeah, that was, my, that was my jam, right? Like, I would wear that outfit today if anybody wants to hook me up, right? Like, I love that guy. So for, for anybody that doesn't know who Evil Knievel is, uh, he was a, a, a daredevil in the late 60s, 70s, and he started his career jumping, like, bins of rattlesnakes with his motorcycle. And then it was, like, school buses and RVs and just crazy things. And then late in his career he actually jumped or attempted to jump the Grand Canyon with like a, this rocket motorcycle that somebody made for him. And I say attempt because usually it didn't actually end well. And, uh, but man, as a kid, like I just came alive watching this guy just try these crazy things. And it got me on a BMX bike pretty much as soon as I could figure out how to, how to, how to do that. Um, in my 20s and 30s, my, uh, my attention went to a young cancer survival, or a survivor and a, 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 a cyclist named Lance Armstrong. And uh, Lance Armstrong, um, after he, he uh, defeated cancer and living cancer-free, he actually set his eyes on the toughest endurance race in the world, the Tour de France. And I know everybody knows Lance Armstrong as the doper, right? The, the guy that cheated, which is absolutely true. Um, but in those early days, what, what drew me to him was how, um, how he strategized and how he set his eye on a goal and just went after it. I mean, his determination and even the way that he approached training, using a cycling team, the approach, all of that stuff has changed professional cycling forever. As I got older, uh, it kind of went into movies and shows that I love, and one of my favorite heroes in movies is this guy, Maximus from Gladiator, right? Uh, right, right, come on guys, Whoa! right, yeah, all right, right? Are you not entertained, right? Like, we love that stuff. Um, talk about hardships though, right? I mean, uh, this guy, this guy, uh, his, his, his beloved emperor is murdered, and then his wife and his son are savagely murdered for no reason. He gets out of an execution, becomes a slave, and because of the promise that he made to his dead friend and emperor, a slave takes on the emperor of Rome and um, sets people free. Most recently, my, my most recent hero is uh, a guy named Rip from the show Yellowstone. Okay, and, it, and if you're a... If you're, into that show, uh, you know, man, this guy has a tough life, right? Like uh, keeping the cowboys and Yellowstone Ranch running is hard enough. And yet he chooses to love this woman, right? And I mean, like 
Anybody that watches Yellowstone, like, uh, you know, uh, she puts two scoops of crazy in her coffee every morning, right? I mean, my gosh, like, life is so hard. Like, don't choose the wrong woman, right? It's just like, oh, my gosh. But the determination and the fact that this guy gets up every morning, puts his boots on, and at the end of every day, he stumbles home and says, Beth, what did you do today? You know, because he knows she did something bad, right? And it just progressively gets worse. Um, so my question as we get into the scriptures today, and I promise we'll get there, is are some people simply more resilient than others? Like what I mean are, are some people just born with more grit, more determination than other people? Or is it something that is cultivated a long life? And my, my encouragement to all of us is I think some people are just naturally born with a little more fight in them. Or maybe their life circumstances growing up kind of force them to, to uh, have to have to battle and cultivate something rich within them. But the good thing for all of us is I think um, resiliency, I think grit is something that we can learn, that all of us can cultivate. And I, I truly think it's a spiritual discipline that God wants his people to cultivate. And that's really the heart of where we're gonna go today. So we're in week two of the series, When Life Gives You Lemons. And let's face it, life gives you lemons, right? Um, For all of us, uh, life has hardships and things come at us that are just difficult. And in the series, we're we're in the book of Philippians written by a guy named uh, Paul. And uh, we're gonna learn how to thrive in the struggles and trials of life. But even more than that, our goal is to not just thrive and to get through it, but to actually find joy. And to be joyful in the midst of trials and struggles, I I truly think that is a supernatural um, gift that God gives us. And we're gonna learn that from the words and the life of this guy named Paul. So Paul is a... uh, a a biblical character uh, penned most of the New Testament, but a little bit about his backstory. So Paul started his life as Saul. So his his, uh, birth name was Saul. He was born in Tarsus, which is about 500 miles away from Jerusalem. So, which in ancient world is a super long journey, right? So so, uh, his his faith system and where he lived were, were radically distant. So he was like super devout about his religion and, and, and his values because he lived so far away from where most people were practicing that, okay? So for, for us, uh, say you were like a diehard Denver Bronco fan and you had to move to like Oakland Raider land. I, I guess it's Vegas now, right? Or God forbid, like Kansas City, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like these people are crazy right? But you would probably be that guy that hoists the Bronco flag in your yard, right? And, and has like the full, the full catalog of all your, your blue and orange, right? Well, Paul was that way about his faith. Uh, Paul lived distant from a lot of the Jewish people. So his, his faith, he, he, he dug in deep and his disciplines and how he lived his life was super critical to him. As he grew older, um, Saul pursued um, the, the best education that he could. And he was flawless, we find out in other places in the Bible, about the application of his faith. I mean, he was so devoted to the God that he knew in the Bible, um, and that absolutely drove everything that he did. The first time we meet him in the New Testament, um, he shows up in the book of Acts, and, and um, 
It's when his faith system, everything he believes to be true, and this person named Jesus seems to be a barrier, an obstacle to the message of God. So Paul's answer, eliminate the problem. Get rid of the Christians. They're a problem. So he, he uh, is uh, seen first in Acts when he's uh, uh, watching and approving of the public ed- execution of a Christian in the streets of Jerusalem. And he goes on, he meets Jesus, and through that process and the, the, the season afterwards, God reveals to Paul that Jesus wasn't the obstacle, Jesus is the fulfillment. So everything that Paul believed to be true and good about God is fulfilled in Jesus. And so that foundation that Paul had as a, as a, uh, as a, a devout follower of God is fulfilled in Jesus, which feeds his passion. Paul goes on, and Paul is actually the uh, driver of Christianity punching its way into the Roman Empire. Um, Paul is the reason why Christianity spread to all these uh, Roman uh, 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 provinces, the world, and eventually to Denver, Colorado. Like, if you're a Christian here today, it's because Paul punched the gospel into various cultures, and it just created this cascading effect, which is super cool. In a lot of ways, he's kind of like a a running back on a football team, right? Where the the coach says, okay, these guys are going to poke a hole in in the defense, even if there's not a hole, take the ball through there, right? And they just put their head down and they, they make it happen. And Paul was that way as a follower of God. Like Evil Knievel or Lance Armstrong or Maximus, Paul took a ton of hardship in order for the gospel message to spread. Matt shared this last week, but I'll just elaborate a little bit more. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul lays out a list of the hardships that he actually faced to be used by God in this. So he says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So what that means is the, the uh, Romans let the, the uh, Jewish leaders um, execute a certain amount of authority and punishment to their people in the Roman Empire. And uh, they said, if you smack somebody with, with a whip 40 times, that's abuse. So do it 39 times, <laughs> right? And so 40 minus one, you know, public school math, that's 39, right? So Paul got that five times. He goes on, three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was pelted with stones. And getting a stone in the New Testament isn't like Colorado, Rocky Mountain High. It was like people taking rocks and trying to kill you by chucking rocks at your head. He said, yeah, that happened to me once. He goes on, three times I was shipwrecked. And one time I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I mean, picture this guy. Like uh, most of us would probably prayerfully consider it wasn't God's will if we got beat once, right? And Paul's like, yeah, I got beat nine times with like whips, rocks, and, uh, and rods, shipwrecked, all these other things. I mean, he's more like a Navy SEAL than he is a church pastor, right? I mean, uh, this guy's resiliency is insane. And his MO, his, his process for preaching and advancing the gospel was pretty consistent in the New Testament. And this is what he did. He came to a new town. He proclaimed the truth of Jesus unapologetically. He faced whatever opposition that brought, usually violence. He went back. He proclaimed the truth of Jesus again. He built a core. He built the church. 
He commissioned leaders and he moved on and did it again. And then he wrote letters back to all these churches to encourage them in their faith. And Philippians, our book for this whole study that we're in, was based on one of these letters that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Pretty cool. So the, the backdrop for the passage that we're looking at today is the first half of chapter one. So Paul comes out of the chute in chapter one like this. Way to go, Christians. Woo! Right? He is cheering them on in their faith. He's like, I see the things you're doing. It's amazing. God is good. You guys are crushing it. Great job. So he's just the biggest cheerleader. And he goes on and he shares his deep love for these people. I mean, they planted a church together. They experienced hardships together. They raised families together while Paul was there. Right? So this deep friendship. And then it takes him 12 verses to even bring up the little point that uh, Paul's in prison and a possible outcome is his execution, right? So he is in the midst of hardship and he takes 11 verses to cheer people on and to, to celebrate their mutual love for one another. And then in verse 12, he brings up kind of his struggle, but he doesn't complain about it, right? Like it, it, it isn't a, a whining thing at all. He says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's sitting in jail, chains around his ankles probably, and he writes this letter and says, we are winning. God is good. This is awesome. Good things are happening, right? And it, it just gives us a snapshot on how he sees the world, how the trials, the hardships that he's facing, um, he sees somehow he has a perspective for God's goodness in the midst of that. And he's, he's, he's not just blowing sunshine here. Like he is legit saying, this is good. God's winning. I'm in jail and he's even using that. So the passage we're looking at today is um, some, some amazing advice that Paul gives us on how we can thrive and how we can even find joy in our trials. So, um, so and the, the key to that is it's all about perspective. So I'm going to share three specific points about a perspective that we can adopt and live in to look at the trials and the struggles that we face and actually see God and see a purpose um, in the midst of that and be people of joy, men and women who, who face hardships and see the goodness of God in that. So the first lesson is this, that we develop a perspective on eternity we live for the long game. Our perspective, point out one, is, is see eternity and live for the long game. In verses 19 to 21, Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, uniquely what Paul's acknowledging is, hey, God's going to win. 
like God can't lose. God never plays defense. He's always winning. He's always advancing his purposes. And whether I live or die, God's going to win in my situation. Um, so again, I, I shared earlier about Paul's upbringing and, and how he, uh, he was trained with all this amazing uh, knowledge as, as a, a young Jewish boy. So we, we have to think as we read this passage that Paul was thinking about the stories that he grew up with, his superheroes, right? And in the book of Daniel, there's, there's, there's uh, three young men who get sideways with the king, the emperor, because they won't bow down and worship a, a statue that he made. Uh, basically, the, the emperor said, um, here's this, this uh, a, a sta- a statue that I made. At this time every day, everybody's going to bow their knees and worship me. And, and these guys are like, we, we aren't. There's one God and you ain't it, you know? So, so he, he, he decides in his anger that he's going to build a fiery furnace and he's going to throw them inside. And a fiery furnace is like, like our, it's an execution chamber, right? Um, it's, it's a wood pile. And one of these men says this to the king when the king says, I built this and I'm going to throw you in it unless you worship me. He says, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So in Paul's situation, I have to speculate that he was even thinking about, you know what, my heroes stood up to this kind of stuff, and and they trusted God, even if it meant death. Kind of back to his foundation. See, Paul wasn't converted to Christianity. Paul was devout in his understanding and his pursuit of God. The difference between Paul's story and my story and probably yours is that God revealed to Paul, everything that you love about me is found in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of my goodness, not an obstacle, right? So Paul grew up with this amazing foundation of just a worldview that he saw everything through. Some of those points were that he, he just grew up believing that God was good. He grew up knowing that God sees the big picture in all that's happening. That God is all-powerful and nothing ever happens that is out of his control. Uh, God is working and has worked in the past through some pretty wild stories like, like the, the uh, one I shared from Daniel. So in Paul's framework, God, God works through wild stories in the past. There's a good chance that he's going to do some wild things in my life. It's just kind of how God does things. And God doesn't waste anything, but he uses everything for his glory and our ultimate good. So where that hits us today in 2022, I was going to say 2023? I don't know what year it is. Okay. Okay. Anyways, um, what... Our application for that today is most of us did not grow up with the foundation that Paul did, right? We, we didn't grow up um, understanding the scriptures the way that Paul did. So for us to be able to trust God in our trials, we need to build a foundation. We need to get to know God. And the, the big idea is this, you've got to know God to trust God. That if, if your concept of God is just a, uh, some squishy spiritual force in the universe or a list of religious rules, man, it's going to be tough to cling to that when life gets hard, right? But if you 
cultivate a relationship with God where you know the stories of his faithfulness in the past, you know his promises for the future, and through prayer and through, through our uh, uh, life circumstances, reading the scriptures, you know God today. W when we hit those trials, we have the ability to, to build a foundation like Paul had. And that's why most of the New Testament is, is, is written to encourage Christians to grow in their faith. Because most Christians come to Jesus that way. Most of us don't go the, the, the path that Paul did. He was a super unique case. You've got to know God to trust God. And maybe for you, this first point is your point for the morning, right? That, that you hear that and say, I don't know him very well. Then maybe this fall, your discipline needs to be to figure out how, with us maybe here at Crossroads, you can grow deeper. Uh, the opportunity to connect in a community group, open the scriptures, to, to get to know the God of the Bible so that you can be transformed. Paul goes on in verse 22 and 23, and he says this, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part, depart and be with Christ for that is far better. So what he's saying is he's, he's focused on the long game and to die is really good because I get to be with Jesus. But there's a tension here because if I stay here, I actually get to pour into other people and invest in you. So to break that down, Paul says, if I live, I win. If I die, I win. And that's a hard perspective for us because uh, we think of, of death as death, right? I mean, it's the end. But Paul has realized that through Jesus, God has taken the, the biggest um, stumbling block, the, the biggest obstacle humanity has to face, right? Like nobody has figured out a way to work around death, but Jesus came and he laid his life down. So death, death is just a blip for, for Paul. He's like, yeah, the moment will come. I mean, I've been beat a lot. I've been lost at sea, right? I've, like, I've been close to death. It's probably going to hurt when it happens for Paul, right? But I know the second after that, I win. I'm with Jesus. So to break that down, it's, he, I live means I win because God gets to use me to bring glory to him and to serve others. And I die, I win because I get to finish the line and receive my reward from Jesus. And that view, that perspective is the first point for us finding joy in our journey is to think big game, think long haul, right? And, and see our momentary trials and struggles in the scope of what God's doing on the big picture. All right, second lesson is this. Uh, Paul teaches us to develop a perspective on community, to live for others. And uh, it says this in uh, verses 24 and 26, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul's saying, I want to go on living so that I can invest in you. Like, uh, Paul's not thinking, like, about a bucket list. Like, man, if I get out of jail, I am totally doing that vacation, right? Or buy, uh, buying that new motorcycle, right? He's not at all. He's like, if I live, 
I'm going to pop out of jail and I'm going to keep doing exactly what I was doing the day I got in here. Because he sees the value in investing in other people. And this is such a staggering reality in our culture because our culture is driven by consumerism, right? We evaluate success based on what you have, how you look, and, and all the numbers or not numbers in your bank account, right? And I've uh, facilitated many um, memorial services and been to dozens as well. I'll tell you what, I've yet to go to one where the accountant stands up and opens the portfolio or a slideshow of just stuff that the person owned. Never happens, right? Because in all the situations, a life is boiled down to experiences with people. And the wisdom that Paul uh, gives us here really dovetails so beautifully into that. Okay, so in verses 27 and 28, uh, Paul gives really specific advice to the Philippians. But as I, I read this, what I, I really uh, think he's giving us is his perspective. And he's encouraging them to kind of adopt his mental framework for the struggles that he's faced. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. So Paul's saying this determination is actually the greatest testimony of God working in our life to the, the people that don't believe it. And reading that, I, I, I have to believe that every time Paul was beaten or shipwrecked or these horrible things that happened to him in his life, that he had the conversation with himself, Paul, stand firm. Paul, remember, we're doing this so that we can get the gospel to more people. Keep it together, man. <laughs> and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's like, yeah, we're in the open sea. Surely a boat's coming, right? Um, but but he, he, he had this mindset because he wanted so desperately to use his life to impact other people. Over the last many years, uh, I've, uh, one of my, my uh, favorite speakers and authors is a guy named Simon Sinek. He's a big a TED Talk guy and is all over the internet. And um, one, of his, one of his points that he continually revisits is uh, working with organizations and military platoons and such and families is that uh, people find joy and purpose by helping those around them feel valuable and loved. That, I mean, some of his observations in the military of like building bands of brothers, right? Building that idea of like, yeah, sure, you do a lot for the love of country, but what they've learned is you do a lot for the, man, the person to your right or your left. Simon Sinek goes on and says this, regardless of how messed up your situation might be, your workplace, your family, people find joy and purpose by making their, the lives of the man and woman to their left or right better. And I think his secular wisdom dovetails perfectly in with what Paul's saying here, um, is, is having a perspective to pour into others. See, the truth is most of us are not going to be Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, right? You're, you're not going to create something that the world's going to go gaga over and you're going to make a boatload of money. And the, the reality is most things that are like hot, like in, in a decade, it's going to be at the thrift store, right? Or, or you know, I mean, so a lot of those, those artifacts that they create don't last. 
but the investment in people is an investment into a cascading effect because people impact people and the, and, and the, the investment in one person can actually bless countless people, even a generation. Uh, there's a, a ministry here at, Cross, at Crossroads called Stephen Ministry. And uh, what a Stephen Ministry is, it's, it's a setup so that volunteers like you could sign up, be trained, and basically be assigned to walk life with someone in a season of struggle. So for an individual who is just walking through a season of pain and suffering, maybe the death of a loved one, um, um, uh, um, abuse, uh, you, just, just the, uh, all uh, kinds of horrific and hard situations, a Stephen minister gets to walk with them. So my question is, who in the world would sign up for that? I mean, really, I mean, all of our lives are hard enough as it is, right? Like, so why would you sign up to actually walk with somebody else in their trials? And what we're seeing consistently is the reason people do it is because they realize that when you walk alongside someone else in their pain and suffering, you actually get a front row seat on the goodness of God, that you get to see God move in a powerful way, and you get the joy of just being used in that process. So that's why people are falling over themselves to sign up for this stuff. And it's the same reason why people sign up to, to work with kids and with students and lead community groups and teach English as a second language. Like who has the time and energy to volunteer and serve other people? Truthfully, people that are smart, uh, people that realize that joy and satisfaction in life comes from giving your life away for the sake of others. And that's really what Paul is, um, is uh, teaching us in this second point. So maybe this is the point for you today. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you feel disconnected. So a couple questions for you. How relationally connected do you feel right now? Are you too busy in life or possibly your hardships to be with or to give yourself away to others? And maybe... For you, maybe this fall is a season for you to invest energy in connecting with other people. And at the end of the service, we'll, we'll share a, a, a great opportunity for you to move in that direction um, in meaningful, significant ways. But the reality is isolation is like cancer for the soul, right? And it leads to depression. It leads to selfishness, self-centeredness. And individuals who live there consistently, man, uh, become really, really sad people and don't experience the joy that God created and longs for us to know. All right. So our final lesson is this one, and it's this, to develop a perspective on reality. Expect the lemons. Expect them, right? You're a human, and we're, we're all in a, in a sinful, broken world. Um, we're kind of hardwired for trouble, right? Um, but the reality is, is uh, found in, in uh, verses 29 and 30. And Paul says this, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaging in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, life is hard for everybody, right? I mean, there's uh, financial burdens, relational burdens, you know, 
politics are mildly messed up in our country, right? <laughs> that was funny. Come on. Okay. Like, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's the human burdens, and then there's what comes with putting on the Team Jesus jersey. Like, if you identify with Jesus, your life is going to be like a combat zone in some ways because we're fighting for, the, for our own heart and the hearts of others that God wants to show his love to. And um, for uh, many Christians, th- this, uh, this is like a foreign concept. Like there's, there's an assumption and uh, maybe us pastors are to blame. Like uh, maybe we haven't been explicitly clear that to follow Jesus means what Paul says in this verse. Expect this, right? But the reality is there's a lot, of, a lot of people in our Christian culture that assume that if you walk with Jesus, that it's going to be puppy dogs and rainbows and, and ice cream sundaes, right? And it's not. Um, Jesus has won and defeated death. So he cleared the, like, like, like I shared, he cleared the one obstacle that every human being has to deal with. He won that battle. But then he says, follow me and journey on. It's uh, like in World War II when the Allies uh, landed on on, uh, Normandy beaches, right? Once the beachhead in France was secure, the the, uh, Nazi regime was, was, I mean, the the writing was on the wall, right? But were there more battles to come in France and Belgium and Germany before the Nazis surrendered? Absolutely. And as Christians, and we identify with Jesus, part part of what we have to realize is that that's part of the burden that we have to and we get to enjoy. The truth is, our culture is in contrast to this. Our culture is making people soft, okay? And, um, and what I mean by this is, is, is God created us to be image bearers of him and to live a certain way. And our culture consistently is trying to weaken the resiliency and the resolve of human beings. Like we're, we're teaching a generation of people, us included, we're, we're all a part of this, but we're teaching us to that, that your hardship is somebody else's fault and you need to tell the world that you're offended when it doesn't go your way. We're encouraged to wait for the next stimulus check or wait for someone else to pay our bills. And not going the political route, the reality is that makes weak people. And God longs for his kids to trust him, to live in relationship with him. What's that? Turn off the peck. Still me. (laughs) All right. God wants his kids to be resilient. And he wants us to be people with, uh, with the strength that he provides and to live a life of purpose. And this is in stark contrast to what our culture is trying to create. We will suffer because we are human and because we identify with Jesus. And part of this perspective that we learn from Paul is once we realize this, once you know that life is going to be difficult, you can you step onto the field expecting the battle, right? Like a, nobody steps onto a football field and is caught off guard when, when uh, someone blindsides you 
or steps onto a battlefield and is offended when a bullet's flying at their direction, right? You expect that stuff. And we need to learn from Paul here that the life of the Christian is that. And we find joy when we trust God in the midst of that because we're going to experience his goodness and his favor in ways that we would have never uh, understood. So where do we go with this? Um, here at Crossroads, we talk continually about Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is our hope. A Jesus came in the flesh. He stepped into a world as broken as it is today. He, he lived a perfect life. He showed the love of God and he died on a cross in order to remove that hurdle of death that stands before all of us. And maybe, maybe you're just kind of checking this out or you've just been uh, listening to sermons for inspiration. And maybe what God wants you to do this fall or today is find out about who this Jesus is. And we would love to walk with you in that process. And we, we made it super easy and super relational. You can start that process by texting the word Jesus to 720-513-1933. And if you text us, the other person will ask you about yourself, understand where you want to pick up the story, and begin unpacking the, the aspects of the story of God and who this Jesus really is. Um, for those of us who may already know Jesus, um, our encouragement from Paul throughout this whole book is to trust in Jesus and learn to walk in the strength and the purposes that he's given us. And that's why every Sunday here at Crossroads, we take communion together. Let me figure out how I'm going to do this with two hands. All right, that wasn't even rehearsed, guys. Come on. All right. So we take communion here every week, and our, our purpose in this is we, we reenact, if you will, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We reenact the reality that Jesus was viciously beaten. He was stripped. He was hung on a cross. And he died in the sun with people laughing and mocking him. And in a couple of weeks, we'll hear, he says, for the joy set before him. Who in the world would endure that? Well, God would, because he loves you that much. And we do this in celebration of that perfect love that God has given to us through Jesus. So we're going to take this bread and we're going to eat this in remembrance and celebration of that work that God alone could accomplish on our behalf. Let's take this in celebration. And we drink the juice because though it's a horrific reality that the blood of Jesus would have been poured out, it was necessary to secure what he has secured for us. So we drink this in celebration of his goodness and what it means to us today. So our response to the goodness of God is worship, is living a lifestyle, like Paul's encouraging us here, a lifestyle that honors God, but it equally means to sing of the goodness of God in our everyday lives.
So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. I'd like to encourage you. Uh, maybe you are in a season of, of, of hardship and you would like to have someone walk with you in it. You want to be a receiver of what this verse talked about. I'd encourage you, if you're online, uh, click the prayer button and uh, somebody in the chat will connect with you and meet you there. For those in the room, over here, there's a banner that says prayer. Anytime during this, this time of musical worship, you can stand up and walk over there and they would be honored to serve you in that. But let's sing of the, the goodness of God in the midst of our trials, our struggles, and seek his joy because he is good. Let's stand together.